Well, this morning we'll go ahead and take a look at Romans chapter 7. And again, we need to keep in mind, and I keep kind of reminding you guys of this as we gather every time, but th- this book, as, as with the, all of the books in the New Testament, they were actually written as one entire letter. It was not originally broken up as chapters and verses like we have it in our Bibles today. So as you study your Bible, it's important to keep that in mind to kind of, kind of go with the flow. So as we're studying through Romans here, what I kind of keep doing is going back to the previous place we left off that chapter and picking it up there and then kind of moving on into our chapter for today. So again, we'll be studying through Romans chapter 7, but we'll go ahead and take a look back now at Romans chapter 6, and we'll start reading in verse 14 of Romans chapter 6. So Romans 6:14 For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now, I taught on these verses, like I said, the last time we were together, but I just want to touch on something here again this morning. Do you see the mention of slavery there in verse 16? The Word of God here is telling us that the one that lives their lives in sin, their everyday choices are all about doing what they want, how they want, where they want, when they want. They're self-centered, and it's all about them. This person probably thinks that they are free. They're free as a bird, right? They they feel that they can do whatever they want to do. That's their freedom, right? But the Bible teaches that that is actually slavery, and that that sin, that slavery will actually lead that person to death, right? That is, there'll be no real life within them, no abundant life that the Lord God gives to a person because they choose to live in their own way rather than to live in the ways of God and in accordance with His Word. So a person can choose to live that way. They have free will. Every one of us have free will. We can choose to live however we want, but at the end of verse 16, we see that there is actually another option for us, and that is to lead an obedient life that leads to righteousness. So that's the opposite way to live. Of course, everyone in this world is going along with the flow and living in the ways of the world system and living in a manner that's pleasing to them, and it's all about them. And that's not that obedient life that leads to righteousness. That's that selfish, sinful life that leads to bondage, okay? But this letter is now addressing the one that has come to faith in Jesus. As we read this, we're going to see it's addressing that person, the one that has given their life to Christ, the one that has been born again. And it continues here in uh, verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. 
And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So, in this analogy of slavery here, that's been being given to us by the Apostle Paul as he wrote this letter, um, we see that one way or the other, we're actually slaves. Either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. In other words, we're presenting our bodies, we're presenting ourselves to be obedient to God, so we're slaves to righteousness, right? But again, a person has either chosen one way or the other. And the way one comes to righteousness is by obeying a doctrine like we see here, a doctrine that was delivered to them. And that is the doctrine or the teaching. That word doctrine just means a teaching, right? That's that teaching that we find in the pages of our Bibles here. And I teach that doctrine every time we gather, the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of the Word of God, the doctrine of grace and of truth, right? We're to obey that and to actually live that out. So again, the, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, uses this analogy, and he goes on here to explain why he uses this analogy in verse 19. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So the person that makes the choice every day to live in the way they want to live in accordance to the way they want to live, what feels good, they do it, and that's how they live their life. He's saying, just like you gave yourself to that kind of life, now give yourself to this kind of life where you're obedient to the doctrine that you have learned and you're slaves to righteousness, okay? For when, verse 20 says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you could care less. When you were in sin, you didn't care too much about righteousness. And it says, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So again, it's speaking to that born-again person, that person that has now come to Christ, and they, they, they now are ashamed of the way they used to live without Christ, how they were blinded to the truth of God, blinded to the truth of the Word. But now they've come to the knowledge of God, and Paul's telling them to live that way. Verse 22, But now having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So that's what awaits the person that chooses to be obedient to the doctrine of the Bible and thereby no longer chooses to walk in willful sin, but rather chooses to walk in willful obedience to the word of God. What awaits that person? Everlasting life in the presence of God awaits that person, okay? And it says in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that word but there is giving us that distinction, you know? The wages of sin is death. Here's one way. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do you come to that eternal life, you know, in Christ Jesus our Lord? By walking in obedience to the doctrine that's delivered to us 
through the Word of God. Again, keep in mind, I mean, we can think way back in time to the Apostle Paul writing this and all that he went through to give his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same with Peter and James and John, the other disciples of Jesus Christ, who all were martyrs. They all gave their life for this doctrine. But not only that, we can fast forward hundreds of years to the time of like a man like William Tyndale, who was the first man to take the Bible from the Hebrew and Greek and to put it into English, you know, and he was burned at the stake for doing that. They killed him. The church killed him. The, the church of that time killed him for, for doing that because they wanted the scriptures to remain in their hands. They wanted, to, they wanted to be the ones that translated the scriptures. They didn't want everyday people reading, reading the Bible. So when William Tyndale uh, took, spent all that time to translate it into English, into our language, they killed him for it. You know? So think about what's at stake here. Why? This is a precious word. It's a living word. It's something that people have given their life for and so that this doctrine can be delivered to us. And there's one that wants to keep this doctrine from people, and that's Satan, the God of this age, who it says in the Bible, the God of this age who has blinded the eyes of people so that they will not receive the gospel, right? It blinds their eyes. So there's something here that we have to take in and absorb and live. And that's what we're reading about. So we go into chapter seven now and it says, or do you not know brethren, for I speak to those who know the law that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Question mark, right? So as this letter continues on, again, Paul, the original writer of this letter, he speaks to the Jews here and he calls them brethren simply because they were fellow Jews. He was a Jew himself, right? And he now is about to direct their attention back to the law on which they made their boast. Everything they did, they stood on that, on that law, right? And he's going to give them an example of why they are no longer under that law. So he tells them that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives, and then in verse 2, he gives this example. He says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. So we see that Paul, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, is setting the table for something here. Verses 2 and 3 there are, again, an analogy that Paul uses. And Paul wants his fellow Jews to learn something here. And today, for you and me, the Holy Spirit wants us to learn something from what is written here as well. And verse 4 continues, Therefore, my brethren... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. So again, he was using that marriage example to point out this point here. You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him 
who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Okay? So there we see the conclusion of the analogy, right? The Apostle Paul paints a picture here of a husband and wife that are married by law. The husband dies and the wife is no longer bound by the law. In this verse, verse 4 shows us that we too have become dead to the law as a result of the death of Christ so that we can be joined to the resurrected Christ. And the result of that is that we then bear fruit to God. That's the result of the person that's come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They bear fruit unto God. Now, of course, when I speak of the law here this morning, we're we're not talking about civil law, right? Like the laws that we are to obey here in our country. We're talking about the law of God, the laws that the Jews followed for centuries, the law that we read about in the book of Exodus being given to Moses and such. And there are over 600 laws. It's not just the Ten Commandments, right? There were over 600 laws that they followed. And they followed these laws thinking that it was the way for them to become righteous before God. Again, today we're not under those laws, not because those laws were bad, but because God had mercy on us and realized that none of us could keep the righteous laws of God. The laws were good. The laws were righteous. They still are to this very day, good and righteous, but man cannot keep them, okay? So God did something about it. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live here on this earth, right? To become one of us, to be tempted in all ways like as we are, yet he would remain without sin. And as the perfect son of God, who walked on this earth and loved people and healed people and reached out to sinners and reached out to everybody, he was crucified by mankind. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ frees us from sin and from death. But we now become one with him and we become slaves to righteousness that we would bear fruit unto God. We are now to live in a different way. That's the person that comes to Jesus Christ, that comes to faith in God. So we repent of our sin, we turn our eyes, the eyes of our hearts upon Jesus, and we're born again of His Spirit, and then we live that life that bears fruit unto God. This is the doctrine of the Bible. This is the doctrine the Bible teaches, right? My role as a teacher of the Bible is to to pass that doctrine on and to say this is how we should be living. Right? And verse 5 continues and says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. You see the two different fruits, right? To bear fruit to God is one thing, or to bear fruit to death through sinful passions. Okay? So, again, we see a couple things here in verse 5. For one, we see... Uh, that person, when, when a person walks in the flesh, that is, or they're, they're led by their fleshly desires, then what happens is their sinful passions are at work 
within that person. And they begin to choose all the wrong choices. And sometimes we look at people and say, why are they choosing that? You know, they have something good set before them. They have life set before them. Uh, you know, and I'm not even talking about spiritual things right now. Let's just say someone gives opportunity to somebody and it's set before them and something good is there. But instead they choose through their own sinful passions, their own desires to take a different path and to do things their way, right? We see that, you know, through uh, just everyday life that people live, okay? But verse 5 also indicates that these sinful passions are aroused by the law. Now, what does that mean? Well, what Paul's pointing out here, and I'll give my own analogy here. Let's say that I had the authority. I had some type of authority over all of your lives here this morning. And you must abide by what I say. And the law that I made was you're not allowed to have pizza for lunch on Sunday following a Bible study. That's the law I'm making. You're not allowed to have pizza following a Bible study on Sunday. And let's say again, I have the authority. You have to do what I say. Well, the first thing that will rise up in you or the first thing that will be aroused in you is the desire to have pizza, right? Some of you will simply go out and do it today because I'm mentioning it now, right? Now, of course, having pizza is not a sinful passion. Well, maybe it is, right? But I don't know. But the point is, is that the law that I made brings up within us the desire to do the opposite of what I said, right? It's the power of suggestion, they might call it. You know, oh, wow, he talked about pizza today. I'm kind of hungry for pizza now for some reason, right? So the law in that sense works against us because the sinful passions that are within us tempt us to do what we should not do according to the law. The bottom line is that human beings have sinful passions within them and the law highlights those sinful passions, makes them stand out, right? It says, oh, I can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. And that's what people, well, that's what we call in, that's what we call like rebellion in people, right? Oh, you told me I can't do this. Well, I'm going to do that, right? And what is that? It's sinful passions. But again, the law is good. Not my pizza law, but the law of God, right? The law of God is good and always will be, and everything about it was right and righteous and holy and good. But we are weak in the flesh, so we needed help, right? Somehow our sin needed to be atoned for, and that atonement was taken care of by Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the only answer for sinful you and me. Jesus is the only answer for mankind. And verse 6 says, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. So now again, what was the problem? Sinful passions were aroused in us because of the law and because of Christ conquering sin and death and, and us placing our faith in Him, we then die to that which once held us or controlled us. And now we go on to bear fruit unto God because the Spirit of the Lord 
comes within that person, and that's where we get the term, they're born again, like Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. See, so many people come into the Christian life thinking, oh, okay, I said a quick prayer. I said I have faith in Jesus Christ and I believe in Him, but yet they're never taught a doctrine that says, okay, well, hold on. There's now a different way to live. And the Bible teaches that doctrine of a different way to live, right? And verse 6 continues and says, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So remember, when Paul wrote this letter, it was written to and read by a lot of Jews, and he is teaching them that they're not under the law. But you know, unfortunately, even in this present day and age, people still keep themselves under religious law. You know, there are people that say, that will say, I'm not religious. I just do what's right. I just try to do what's right every day. I just try to let my, my good outweigh my bad. Well, that's their religion. That they're under their own way. They're doing it their way. But and religion today still exists. Eat this way, drink this way, talk this way, dress this way, worship that way, right? Pray this way, on and on it goes. But today we are not to put ourselves under religious law, but rather we are to be under the leading of the Spirit of God. So we eat with a thankful heart. We drink with a grateful heart. We, we honor the Lord in, in the way that we talk, the way that we dress, the way that we worship Him, right? The way that we pray without ceasing. But all of this we now do by the leading of the Spirit and not out of obligation, because we are dead to the law, and we are alive in the Spirit. Verse 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would have not known sin except through the law, for I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Now, let's just talk about that one law for a few moments here. Thou shalt not covet, right? Let's kind of look at ourselves under the microscope as we do this. Go ahead and mark this page and turn to the second book in your Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter 20. I'm just going to have us there briefly, but Exodus chapter 20. Paul brings up covetousness and he says, I would not have known if not for the law, right? So the law was a good thing because it pointed out something. It pointed out that we live in sin and that we're separated from a holy God, but there's a way back to God. So the law was good, but I'm going to kind of highlight this uh, covetousness here. Um, Verse 17 of Exodus 20, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, today we could fill in a lot of other stuff there, huh? His his Ford F-150, his boat, you know, or whatever, right? We can fill in many different things here, right? But according to the law, 
we're not to ever desire anything that someone else has. So the question we can ask ourselves is, is do we ever desire or have we ever desired something that someone else has? Maybe their life, maybe their way of living, uh, whatever it may be. The truthful answer is, is yes, we, we all have done that, right? So as we flip back now to Romans chapter 7, we see that we're guilty of breaking the law in one way, shape, or form. This is just one thing, one law, right? The covetousness. But verse 7 tells us that it was actually the law that brought us to the knowledge of the fact that we have these sinful passions. The law pointed that out. And if you say you do not have sinful passions, um, either you or God is a liar because His Word proclaims that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10 takes it a, even a step further and says that the, the Word of God is not even in a person that says they have no sin. That's what 1 John 1.10 says. You don't even, the Word of God is not even in you if you think you have no sin, if you think you're not a sinner. So here again, in Romans, we see, just like I started out teaching Romans about how we're going to see the necessity for the gospel, the reason that we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 7 again, I'll read it. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would have not known sin except through the law, for I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taken opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So that's the kind of the same example I gave you of the no pizza law, right? You see, the law is contrary to our flesh because of the sinful passions within us that cause us to covet or to desire other things. Right. One of the, I mean, and it starts early in life. One of the first things that a baby learns to say, other than maybe dada or mama, one of the first words they learn is mine. Mine. You know, that's mine. They, 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 you know, they have that. They see a, another child with something that they desire or they covet, and this, this covetousness wells up within their flesh, and they go berserk until they get what they want. And for a lot of adults, that never goes away, right? But obviously, the best thing for that child is the rod of correction, but that's a whole nother teaching, right? Verse 9 continues, though, to drive this point home, and it says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Right? So now, What's so good about all that? Well, again, the knowledge of the law in essence equals the knowledge of sin and the need for repentance. That's why a lot of people don't want to hear the gospel today, especially the gospel that's preached in the Bible that includes repentance. 
You see, people like the gospel that's just a watered-down gospel that just says, oh, pray this prayer, you'll receive Jesus, and then that's it. You're under grace, and you can just go on from there. Well, what if I sin? What if I continue in sin? Well, you're under grace. Okay, but that doctrine's not taught in the Bible. People don't like to hear it, right? And the unfortunate thing is that today, many religions give people the false security that all is well because people think that they're saved by what their church does for them. Men and women today have in many ways put themselves back under works, a works mentality, right? The, the, the law of works, okay? Verse 13, has, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. Okay, so what does that tell us? Well, let's break that verse down. Verse 13 again. Has then what is good become death to me? So in other words, the law. Has it had a bad effect on me? Did God do something unrighteous when he gave the law through Moses? He goes on, certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So the law was good in that sense because it pointed out sin. It shined a light on us that we were sinners, right? So you see, since sin has been in mankind since Adam, and the law magnified this sin, and, and it, we became aware of it through the law. And in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So what does that mean? The law is spiritual. Well, again, let me point out a scripture to you. Mark this page again. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Right after the book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, then Deuteronomy. Chapter 10. And we'll start reading in verse 12. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Now remember, they were given the law, right? And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commanded you today for your good. Now, when the law was given, it mainly dealt with what a person did externally. But as Moses restates it here in Deuteronomy, he says in verse 12 that one should fear the Lord, 
walk in His ways, love Him, and serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay? You see, it's dealing here now with what's within a person. In other words, that which is in your heart and in your soul. So as Paul says in his letter to the Romans, the law is spiritual. He's, he's magnifying the fact that the law should have its work within you. That, that, that you should change from within, right? And as we flip back to Romans chapter 7, right? Verse 14 again tells us that our carnal flesh is the problem and we're sold under sin. Our nature is carnal or fleshly, if you will, right? The law's nature, however, was spiritual and the law, though, could not transform our old nature. It could only reveal how sinful our old nature is, how our carnal nature is, right? The person who tries to live under a religious law will activate their old nature. That law will arouse sin in them, okay? In verse 15, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So the Apostle Paul states here in this letter to the Romans that something is wrong within us. And that's the point of Romans, you know, pointing out to people something's wrong within us. The law couldn't fix it. The law itself was good and holy because it came from a good and holy God, but we are weak because of our sinful nature. We know that the law is good, and like it says in verse 16, we are in agreement with that fact, but nonetheless, we are still sold under sin. But the good news is there is an answer to the problem. Verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, in other words, as we read this, it's, it's a little tricky language for us, but I, I've decided within me I'm not going to do this any longer. That's my will. I will not to do this. I determine, we could replace that word, I determine not to do this, right? So he says, now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So again, let's keep in mind the full content of the letter here. We have all sinned. That's what the letter's pointing out. There is none good, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. We need the gospel. We need that doctrine delivered to us. We need Jesus Christ. Verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. So you really need 
to take a moment and apply this fact to your life. As a follower of Christ, you want to do good, right? Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. In other words, that good law, the commandments and everything good about the law, I want to keep it. But the problem is we don't always do the things we want to do, do we? We don't always react or behave in the way we should. Someone mistreats us or someone harms us in one way, shape, or form. And the thoughts that come to our minds are not always good thoughts, are they? It's easy to become selfish and to want things to work out the way our flesh would desire them to. But these ways are not the ways of the Spirit. In the Spirit, we don't walk in the flesh. We walk led by the Spirit, right, in a different way. But what Romans is doing is pointing out this nature in all people, this sinful nature. So in verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. Because he had just said with my inward man, I want to obey the law, right? He wants to to live by the law. But he says, I, I see a law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So the cause seems hopeless here, and we want to throw in the towel, and many people do, because what do we do here in this situation if this is the case, right? Many people just go back to living in the ways of the old man, and they do not continue to fight the fight of faith. Paul, at the end of his life, will say, I've stayed the course. I've fought the fight. In other words, he kept pressing on in faith, right? And people do not want to fight that faith, and they don't want to walk in the ways of the the new man that has been born of the Spirit, but we must always stay the course, and we must always continue to walk by faith and not by sight, And we must know that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world and that he who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it if we will simply stay the course and keep our eyes fixed on him on a daily basis. The Holy Spirit revealed this truth to the Apostle Paul, and he used the Apostle Paul to communicate this truth into a letter. And today, the Holy Spirit communicates this truth through this letter in our Bibles to you and me through the Word of God. And in verse 24, Paul reveals the answer to this whole problem of sin. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, right? Now notice something here. First of all, notice the confession of the fact that he's a wretched man. You see, every human heart must come to this place of understanding that we are weak and in need of a Savior. You know, when you see a depiction, an old picture or something that a church might do of Paul putting a halo over his head in a picture or whatever, he never thought of himself that way. And he never wrote in his letters that he was that way, right? He knew that he was a sinner in need of a Savior, in need of Jesus Christ. And every heart must come to that place where they realize they're wretched. But you know, unfortunately, again, religion in many ways has kept man from realizing this by giving them a false sense of security. 
that their church will take care of the problem. I'm okay because of my church, my religion, or whatever it is, right? But we must recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we must come to Him repentant of our sin. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's the answer to the question, who saves us from this whole situation? Jesus Christ. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. In other words, we're still, I I often tell people that as long as we have skin, we will struggle with sin. You know, as long as we're in this body, as long as we're going through this life, we've got to fight the fight. And he reiterates here that he knows with his mind that the law is good, but his flesh continues to be tempted by sin. And if we'd all be honest today, that's the case for all of us in one way or another. But let's keep something in mind that we talked about earlier here in uh, in Romans chapter 6 when we looked at that. And Paul said in in verse 1, we didn't look back that far this morning, but the last time we gathered, we did. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So again, because you're under grace, does that mean that you have a license to sin or behave badly? No. We're presented with a choice though. The choice again is, do we walk in the flesh Or do we walk in the Spirit? And the Word of God is clear that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And in verse uh, 13 of Romans chapter 6, we read, And do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. That's our choice today. Do we present ourselves, our our members, as instruments of unrighteousness, this body of ours, the things we do in this life? Do we give ourselves to unrighteousness? No. We're to present ourselves to God as being alive from the dead, born again of the Spirit, right? And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And then in verse 19 of chapter 6, we read, I speak in human terms, like I read earlier, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So, again, the real answer, the only answer for people is Jesus Christ. We must fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He alone is our strength and our portion both now and forever. But we see here in Romans the truth about the carnal nature of all of mankind and the answer to it. How to walk in righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ. And faith is such a big topic. I really like to spend some time teaching on it sometime. Such a big topic. But in its, in its simplest form, it means you, you, you can't see the way you're supposed to walk with your physical eyes and you can't touch it or feel it in any way, shape, or form. But, you, but 
according to the Word of God, you read it, and then you walk by faith in what the Word of God says, doing the opposite of what all the rest of the world around you is doing, and you press on in that faith, and that's what pleases God. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. It's the way that He has given to us to please Him. And as we do it, we know His presence more and more in our lives. And we start to see things take place in our lives that we realize, wow, God is at work within me. His Holy Spirit is at work within me. But yet, the easiest thing to do is just to go along with the flow of the rest of the world and walk by sight and do all the things that feel good to you. But that's not the way of God. That's not the life that God has for us that we see in the pages of the Scriptures. Let's pray. Oh, again, Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be here. It is good to gather in your presence, Lord. It is good to gather around your word. For where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst, your word promises. And your Holy Spirit is here teaching us. And we thank you for that. We ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us, every one of us here, that we would desire you, that our passion would be you, that our passion would be to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that we would let go of the sinful passions that are, have been rooted within us, our desire for this world, our desire for covetousness, but instead, Lord, that we would come unto you and we would seek that which is, a, is above, that which is good, that which you have for us, Lord. God, let your spirit have its work within our hearts and minds here this morning. And to all those that will listen to this recording, God, let your spirit rule and reign, I pray. Again, we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.